Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Drivers, start your engines! What's going on, FN Nation? Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast, streamed through the Better Sports Network. I'm Dan Malin, and I'm joined, as always, by our FSWA three-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, we are road course racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, A lot of talk about how NASCAR may shift back to the Oval next year, and this could be the last year that we uh, we could be ending the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix uh experiments after just a couple of years uh, it it's been a disaster at times uh but i love the chaos i think it's kind of fun it sucks for dfs at times but what are your thoughts um i guess i have mixed opinions right like it's been chaos but to be fair Cotto was chaos in the first year mm-hmm. and then martin Truex <clears throat> jr nearly killed chris busher just the second year in a rainstorm when he could i think it was cole custer Cole Custer, either yeah. way, nearly killed the dude. Not his fault. It's all good. They're all still alive. Um, Charlotte Roval, I feel like the first year was kind of nuts because we had, again, MTJ getting wrecked out by, I believe, Jimmy Johnson in the final corner, and then Ryan Blaney got the win. Um, so, I, I don't know. I feel like the Oval has been has kind of produced some bad races. Like, that's why we went away from it was that you got the pole and you could just set sail and get out to, like, 8, 10, 12-second leads and never be seen from again, like, for stapping it. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I do remember, arguably, uh, the last oval race for Indianapolis, the Brickyard 400. It 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 seemed kind of boring, uh, but I also remember that there was like a massive pileup on pit road just because it does have one of the more narrow. Yeah, and a guy got spun and basically <clears throat> blocked the entirety of pit road. Then we had a, a, a pileup, much like we did at the, the final corner there in Chicago. <laughs> when they got blocked and then yeah. it looked like we're in traffic. Um, I don't know. Uh, should Indy stay on the schedule? Yes. In some form mm-hmm. or capacity, it should stay on the schedule. Clearly, Roger Penske owns the track, so that's almost assuredly going to happen. The trick is, if Cup goes to the Oval, Xfinity has to go to the Oval, too. So I thought about this, because I know that they... Unless they run them in two different <clears throat> games, 
because they can't run them the same weekend, it's way too hard to switch the track. What if they did Xfinity Road Course practice and qualifying Friday and you ran it Friday night and then you could do trucks on Saturday at IRP and you could pretty much use overnight Friday night into Saturday to transition the track back to the Oval for Cup so they can do their practice and qualifying and race the Oval on Sunday. Well, when are you getting practice and qualifying in for Cup? Uh, I mean, it would be a massive effort overnight to transition the track back to from the road course to the oval. Now, the other issue is, is like, well, what if there's bad weather on Friday and you can't, and you have to run right. the Xfinity race there's on Saturday? No, there's no <clears throat> room. Logistically, it's a nightmare. Yeah, unless you run it two different race weekends. You also have to work with IndyCar because IndyCar is running the Indianapolis Grand Prix this weekend on the Indy road course. Um, so they're there too. In fact, I think they're running tonight after the Xfinity race. I think they're before the Xfinity race or before. Yeah. Um, that's a hell of a ticket. <laughs> like you imagine? Yeah, it's a three, like you're getting, and if you got the, the trucks over at IRP, which is just down the road, that's a heck of a race weekend to be sure. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting conversation. If, Indie races like Pocono just did or Michigan just did, then maybe it's worth switching back to the oval. Not a bad thought, but uh, <laughs> we did waste enough time just talking about the yeah. prospects of NASCAR schedule and they haven't even released it. But we do have some NASCAR DFS contests for Sunday. Uh, we had practice, we had qualifying, and there's the way it shook out. We're looking at a ton of chalk, uh, so many position differential options. And the, I guess the beauty of this race and what we've seen uh, in three races with Xfinity and two races in the Cup Series is that it's chaotic. Um, it, there is, it's a higher variance road course. It's a smaller sample size, sure. But we, we've just seen so much chaos the last couple of years that they've run here across both series. And so you kind of just have to embrace it. Um, but at the same time, we're getting two very popular drivers in great equipment starting on the very back row. And it's easy to just plug those two into your lineup. So it's like, do you are you okay playing cash games this week and just eating the chalk with Byron and Harvick? Um, and there are plenty of other guys, too, starting pretty far back. So, you know, is this more of a GPP week where you feel a little better getting different? Or how are you approaching the slate, man? Yeah. First of all, you know that I'm the bigger proponent of cash games between the two of us. Um, this weekend, I think there's some chalky cash up, <clears throat> to be sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, so I'm going to play more GPP than I normally do because of the variance, because I feel like you can get different. Um, you don't have to ride pole sitters here. Um, you know, it, this one you may want to. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but. Um, I, I I kind of feel like this is a better GPP slate than a cash game slate because Byron didn't qualify, so the news came out on Friday that he failed tech three times, four yeah. times. I don't know. He failed it a bunch. Um, his car chief got ejected. He did not do a qualifying lap. He's starting in the back. Um, he was able to practice. The car was okay at practice. Um, Harvick, I. The only thing I've heard about Harvick this week is apparently on the off weekend in June, he went to Italy and fell and bruised a rib, and he's been dealing with it all summer. I literally don't think I ever saw the car on track for practice. Um, <clears throat> qualifying was a disaster. So 
those are some chalky plays. If we're banking on chaos, then a kind of a modified stack, the back strategy has worked here. This mm-hmm. is kind of a Daytona-ish road course from what we've seen. But in general, I do like the wonkiness that you can get with GPPs this week. That like, you know, some guys it should be higher played won't be because there's higher PD dudes in the back. Now, my next question is, uh, we have 82 laps for this race. Um, yep. And we'll, we'll get into track breakdown shortly because uh, there's little to no elevation change. But, you know, 82 laps, with that means at most, if there were zero cautions, which we know will not happen, uh, that's 57.4 dominator points. Um, and so, just not a lot. Uh, so, it's obviously a week that we target position differential overall, just like good finishes as well. But how do you think that the lack of stage breaks uh, comes into play? Does that help the drivers that are starting up front a little bit more? Because, you know, you no longer need to strategize for track position by pitting before the end of the stage and, and right. taking tires and fuel. And then assuming that everyone else at the stage break comes in, like, and then you would just naturally kind of move yourself up if you pitted before the stage break. Um, <clears throat> do you think it'll be more difficult for drivers to move up through the field if we don't have the stage breaks, which obviously means less cautions? Uh, I think we've seen that so far this year that this that the no actual stage break caution on road courses has completely flipped the script on strategy. We saw some guys at Sonoma get stuck not being able to move up with that stage break like they had been in the past. Um, Coda, I feel like it really screwed the pole sitter coming in because we saw you know them go out and lead a ton of laps early and then they pitted. And we're never heard from again. (laughs) (laughs) This race has a little bit more chaos to it. I do think what we have to pay attention to more this week, more than perhaps starting spots, is where guys are in playoff bubbles and how they're going to strategize around that, right? So we've got – there's only three regular season races left before the playoffs. you got this week – you got next week at Watkins Glen, which is a fairly standard, less chaotic road course. And then you have the mother of all chaos in the Daytona uh, <laughs> August race, 400 miles of plate racing that anything can happen, right? Um, so for guys who need the points and who are on the bubble, like a guy like Ty Gibbs, right? He's on the bubble. He's probably going to stay out and get stage points rather than scripting to win a race. If you are outside the bubble and you need to win the race, you will reverse engineer it to pit so that you're on the track with the best equipment possible towards the end of the race. I think it's interesting that you, interesting that you bring up this strategy, especially because you know Ty Gibbs is currently three points to the good. He starts P10. Right. And then we have Michael McDowell, who's three points behind him, starting P4. And then Daniel Suarez... Is on the pole and he's five points out. So the way that qualifying right. shook out has huge implications. And, and Chase needs a win and he's starting third. Right. So I think that's more sure. Do they want track position? Everybody always wants track position. Doesn't matter what track, doesn't matter if it's easy to pass or what. You'd rather not have to is the point. So if they have track position, it's going to be hard to see people giving it up. But I do think playoff implications will come in to – 
will come into play here more than we've seen in previous races. Okay. Can I ask, okay, so what's the cutoff in points where you would say that a driver needs to race for a win? Because I already touched on McDowell and Suarez. Both of them are within five points of Gibbs. You have A.J. Allmendinger, who's 24 points back. Now, you could say he can still probably raise your points or a win. We, we do have two road courses coming up between Correct. tomorrow and next week. Not but, then you get, but then you get to, like, Bowman, Cindric, Elliott, and those guys are all 40 points or worse behind. Is it safe to say that those are the drivers that you think are racing for wins? Yeah, probably, because if you do the math, I think it's, what, <clears throat> 45 or 50 points is the most you can get in a single race mm-hmm. if you win and you – uh, get uh, stage points and and whatnot. So, if you're forty points back, you basically need a win because there's no way you're gonna outpoint somebody in three races. To like, you said what? Austin Cindric is forty points out. Austin Cindric or uh, Alex Bowman is forty four points out. Austin right. Cindric is fifty three points out. So Alex Bowman <laughs> being forty four points out. He'd have to outpoint Ty Gibbs by what sixteen, basically fifteen points a race mm-hmm. for three races. It's tough. We're not talking DFS points. We're talking about like he's got to finish at least fifteen points better than him, fifteen spots on the track better than him in three straight races, and probably has to cover him with some stage points too. That's not happening at this point in the year. So, um, obviously, if we get a different winner, that changes things. Like if AJ Allmendinger somehow magically comes from a terrible starting spot to win, or Alex Bowman nabs a win, or Sindrick nabs a win, then the bubble moves, right? Then Ty Gibbs mm-hmm. will likely be out unless he's jumped the guy in front of him, right? So, there, there's some interesting um things to happen with you know in terms of playoff standings but i would say the guys that are within 20 something points are probably still believing they could point their way in if the other guys have a bad week all right uh indianapolis motor speedway it's about two and a half miles in length with 14 turns a lot of just like pure straights yes uh in this complex uh I wouldn't say it's like a super technical track, but obviously turn one is going to be a disaster. It's been kind of a mess uh, the last couple of years for both Xfinity and Cup. And now they have that long run, like that long run through where you got to run through like a construction zone to get back on the track. You is see that, that what Kyle Larson did today? Yeah. You have to go through like a sandbagged area, like an access road, through a couple of fences that it doesn't look like you should be driving through. <laughs> you get past a concrete barrier and then you have to stop. Wait the two, like a traditional stop, right? Wait two seconds at a stop sign and then you can rejoin. But it, it yeah, it, I mean, I understand why they did it. Some guys shot through turn one because you really only had like a stop and go, which didn't really cause that big of a problem. Previous years, it's just you would have thought they would have dressed it up a little bit more than looking like you're driving through a construction zone. Um, I'm with you though, it's not a hyper technical track, there is a slower section and a faster section. Um, cars that have problems with right rear grip are going to have a problem this week though. Like, we we saw that with Kyle Bush in practice, he complained that his car was getting loose in 10 and it carried all the way through until the front straightaway 
because everything else was right turn from turn 10 through 14, basically. Um, so if you don't have right rear grip in your car, the second half of this track is going to be a little bit of an issue and you're going to be losing time uh, to guys. Now, is there any way to know who exactly has that? Not really. <laughs> um, the coverage in practice today was, was, was not great. As Steve Leturt said, with four and a half minutes to go in qualifying, the track's about to get real busy here in the next four minutes. You, you think? That's the only time they have <laughs> Um But I'm with I'm, I would put this up with Watkins Glen as a faster, less technical track. It's certainly not like Sonoma. I'm not even sure it comps all that well to the Chicago street track. Um, I don't think it comps at all to Coda. Maybe a little because there's like some long straights at Coda and then there's some technical turns, but Coda's Massive elevation change, a lot more turns, a lot longer, higher speed. Um, so, it, like with all road courses, it's pretty hard to comp it specifically to another one. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, dig in. We're about halfway through the show, and we'll just start talking about the drivers. Uh, won't try to go too quick, but uh, we'll try to make up some ground. Uh, the seven most expensive drivers, Martin Truex Jr., Tyler Reddick, uh, SVG, uh, I struggled pronouncing his name, I'm sorry, Matt, uh, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, and Christopher Bell, 9,400 and up from there. Uh, they all start in the top 12. Given all the PD plays that are available to us this week, um, and they're cheap, uh, how many of these guys in the top 12 that are priced up because uh, there is this line between Christopher Bell and AJ Allmendinger. It's like we get these seven drivers that can potentially dominate and win this race. And then once you get to AJ Allmendinger at 9,300, there's just, it's just like position differential after position right. differential. Daniel Suarez on the pole is mixed into this group as well. But when on a road course, when you see all these like PD plays, it's like you, you don't have as much pressure to play the pole sitter in Suarez, who does still have a shot to make the playoffs. Um, but how many of these guys, the seven most expensive drivers, do you think that you'll be playing in the same lineup? Like, do you, do you want to have at least one of them in there? Maybe two, maybe none at all. If you're just going to stack the back and go for the position differential, um, I think you kind of have to have one <clears throat> just to differentiate your lineup. Yeah, and you need the win equity because the odds of dude starting outside the top twelve winning this race. Pretty slim. I mean, with all the chaos of the first race, A.J. Allmendinger won it from eighth. In the chaos we saw last year, Tyler Reddick won it from the pole. Granted, did not spend the entire race on the pole, led 38 of the 82 laps. But two races, and we've seen two winners from the top ten. Doesn't mean the, the trend continues, but road courses is pretty hard to win races starting outside the top 10 traditionally speaking so if you want win equity not saying you have to have the race winner in your lineup but if you want some laps led and you want some win equity i'm going to put at least one of these guys in a lineup do i want two i guess it depends on how you see the race right like if you're banking on no chaos or very little chaos then I could understand putting more than two of these guys and then just getting some cheap dudes from the bottom that you hope uh, move up, right? Like I could see a lot of tournament lineups starting with Truex and Reddick because you're getting a ton of win equity there. 
and you're hoping that Reddit can get around Suarez, get the laps led. Granted, there aren't a lot, but you know, if Reddick does lead most of the first stage and still finish top five, good chance that he's in the optimal lineup. And then the thought is that later on Truex gets to the front, either wins it or leads laps as well. And then with the remaining four drivers, you're just looking for good finishes. Right. Like if you go SVG and Bell and Suarez, starting three dudes in the top eight, you still have 7,300 bucks left per slot on DK. Right. And now you want to hammer PD with the everybody's favorite play of William Byron and Kevin Harvick. And for that last spot, you got 5,800 bucks, which still gives you, I guess, okay options. I mean, like, I mean, not great. Like, I'd rather have an extra hundred bucks and get Gilliland in there than being stuck at Almarola and below. Um, but if you pick one of those two, let's say Byron, right? And you leave <clears throat> off the list and you go, okay, Eric Jones is 6,300. Now you're talking, you can go get Bowman, who's super cheap starting ninth at 6,800 bucks. Uh, Briscoe, Austin Dillon, who's getting better at road courses, mm-hmm. right? Like you could get really creative. So that's why I'm not sure you necessarily need, like there are, I would say three distinct ways you could build this week. You could build expecting the top 10 to stay relatively intact and then get like two to three massive PD upside guys in your build, right? And that means you could play Bowman starting ninth at 6,800 because he's cheap. Daniel Suarez in what I believe to be the Sonoma winning car from last year and the Chicago winning car from this year because he's lightning fast. Right, he's pretty cheap. He's going to be pretty popular. The other way you can build it is based on pure chaos and build a stack the back deal like we would do at Daytona or Talladega or Atlanta. Now, the other way you could do it is you kind of sit in the middle there because you believe that half the people are going to do the first way and half the people are going to do the second way, and you're going to go the route in between because if that pays off, you're going to be in no man's land and have a wide open path to moving up the, the leaderboard. So uh, so to answer your original question, it kind of depends on which way you're building your lineup. Do you need more than one of those top seven dudes? No, don't think no. so. You can build with as many as three of them. You could build two. So I'm going to write up a bunch of dudes. It's going to be a very deep playbook this week. Because there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people. Um, and it's going to be a choose your own adventure this week. Nice. Um, how much exposure to Byron and Harvick this week is going to be too much exposure? Like, what would you want to settle on? Like, 50%? well, you were joking that you were going to put them in all, <laughs> all of your every lineup was going to have both of those, and you like money. Um, those two statements don't go hand in hand. No. Um, how much is too much? I would say anything over than like 40%. I don't know. Like, Byron's yep. 8,900 bucks. Yeah. I mean, Harvick's like 70, what, six? Uh, He's 73, even worse. 73. So clearly, Harvick needs less 
needs to do less on the track to hit value. But the question becomes, it's not value you're seeking. It's value over the field that you're seeking. And if everybody plays them and they do, let's say they hit 5X, but you also play them, you're not gaining anything over the field with that. You're holding steady, which means you still need your other five, four or five guys to exceed what everybody else is doing. All you've done is gotten the free square from the bingo, but you haven't gained on the field. Right. So in this position, I would almost say go under the field. Yeah, I know that is the way to go in tournaments. Um, Cash games, I I think you have to go over because – I think it depends on like your strategy with cash games. Cause I only do like one lineup for cash games and I'll just enter it in a variety of double ups and like they would easily make it. Um, and I even like screenshot like a quick cash game lineup I threw together, but it, I mean, it was pretty simple. It had Almondinger, Busher, Byron, Hamlin, Harvick, and I think Eric Jones surprising that I could fit all those drivers in the same lineup. But again, it's, it's just a cash lineup and this is a road course. So everyone's right. price is a little bit depressed. And, and I don't really, try to aim for drivers that can hit 5x value. I'm mostly looking for drivers that can get me between 40 and 50 points on a road course. And Harvick and Byron have a clear path. Now, the lack of uh, stage breaks hurts them a little bit because the field doesn't reset. But if we're still anticipating a lot of chaos and cautions, as we've seen, well, okay. I don't think it's going to be an issue. But here's, here's a question. Okay, If it rains tonight Ooh. in Indy, which it's supposed to, does that mean there's a comp caution tomorrow for the cup race? Because the track will have changed. It will what have they, changed but if, but if, last but if, they were on the track. But would it be, are you saying that the track would change and that it would just still be wet by the time they go green tomorrow? No, I'm just saying like we've seen NASCAR have comp cautions if it rains between practice qualifying and the race for the cup series. Like even when they've gotten in full practices. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I I guess it's possible. Um, I'm not saying the track would still be wet. I'm just saying that because it changed and it's now no longer rubbered up because remember the cup, the cup guys were, you know, there's rubber on the track. They built it up. Now there's going to be IndyCar. There's going to be Xfinity. There's going to be a bunch of different rubber on the track. It's going to be basically, depending on how hard and how long it rains and whatever, it'd be essentially a green track tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that there's a comp caution, which throws a little bit of a wrench into this too. But I would say you want to be under the field on Byron and Harvick in tournaments. Now, we only have a few minutes left, uh, so before we get to final thoughts, I guess we've talked about, I guess, the the contenders and the winners of the race and, and obviously the PD guys, uh, but if there's a diamond in the rough, maybe a guy that you really like that might be off everyone's radar because he may not be starting up front or he may not be starting as far back as Byron or Harvick, like, who could that driver be? Um, so, Kostecki, we got to watch him because he had a little bit of damage. <clears throat> Um, in qualifying, I believe. Um, so he may make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. And if he's not starting 11th, 
it's definitely going to change my read on him at that price. The other, <laughs> the other uh, international guys like Kobayashi and uh, Jensen Button and Rockefeller, um, I'm less high on, to be completely honest, because it's a bigger learning curve. The reason why SVG came over and is doing well is because the supercar is basically the exact same car as a Cup Series car at this point. It weighs a little different, handles a little different, but um, basically the same car. So. If there's a guy who's kind of off people's radar, I mentioned Austin Dillon. I think he's getting better at road racing. I think he's learned a decent amount from Kostecki coming um, and Kyle Busch coming to RCR. Um, I don't know, hard to get Chris Busher off my mind because that guy's been, A, won back-to-back races and threw his wife under the bus for not coming to see him. <laughs> And he's been really good at road courses. Like, yeah. really good at road courses. Um, Austin Sindrick, nobody pays attention to him ever. It's Penske's home track, literally. They own it. So he's a guy who could just sneak into top tens. I think he won here in the Xfinity Series, too. He did. He, he does have a win here in the Xfinity Series. Um, I kind of like Kislowski. not going to lie. 6,900. He starts P22. There are cheaper options starting further back. There are more expensive options. Like you could, I think a lot of people skip over Kozlowski because they just try to fit in Kevin Harvick, who is only $400 more. Um, I know we don't necessarily think of Brad as a good road course driver, but I'm, I'm mostly just looking at, I guess, the way he's been trending. He's got four top six finishes in his last five races, not road courses, but, um, you know, his teammate, Chris Busher, is a good road course driver. And, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that if you have that kind of teammate at your disposal to pick their brain, Daniel Hemrick does it with AJ Allmendinger. Anytime Allmendinger runs an Xfinity series race for calling, Denny Hamlin picks yep. Tyler Reddick's brain. Like he's been very oh, vocal about that. His setup for Sonoma. <clears throat> exactly. So I, I Brad Keselowski is one guy that I may try to be overweight in the field on, but I don't think it's going to take very much because I don't think he's going to attract that much ownership because I think people just easily will pay for Hamlin or, or Harvick, Byron, maybe even Eric Jones or Austin Dillon. I would I would agree. And I'm just going back and double-checking on what LaJoy's done at road courses. Of late, he had a solid run in Chicago. That was kind of a interesting race. He did have a very good run at Coda, though. To, to be perfectly honest, and solid run at Sonoma. So he's a guy, he's a cheapie who may be off people's radars because he's starting 14th. But if All he has to do is just hold that position, yeah. Yeah, if he holds that spot, you're golden. All right. Well, Matt, pretty good breakdown of uh, tomorrow's race from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Best of luck to you. This is best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. 
Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.